Good morning, everyone. My name is Greg Steiniger, and welcome to Manly Life Church this Sunday morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, as I said, my name is Greg. I am, um, I've been a member of the church for about a year and a half. Uh, we attend the morning service. I'm married to the lovely Vicki, and we have two wonderful children, Emma and Josh. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning. Um, Tim actually let me know that I was or asked me to speak about six months ago. And in that time, I did what any good boss would do. Um, I promptly forgot about it until last night around 10 p.m. And then because I realized I was in trouble, I woke everyone else in the house up, um, got them to work all night to prepare this. And so if it's bad, it's actually their fault. Um, now, in all seriousness, that's not what happened. But I, I think a lot of us may have had experiences in the past as um, working with... Um, teams where that, that would be the case, right? That uh, we've been blamed for things that aren't our responsibility and, and uh, people that are supposed to be in leadership have actually not taken responsibility for it. <clears throat> the reality is that I've actually, as I said, I've known about this for about six months. And in that six months, I've actually um, had the opportunity just to, to live um, this passage on a daily basis um, every day. Um, I, I, and the passage is from Ephesians uh, 6, verses 5 to 9. It's on bond servants and masters. Um, as we'll talk about today, we actually play both of those roles. I am a, I am a report to someone else, um, but I also have the opportunity to lead a team. So that's what we're going to speak about today. Um, as I said, for some of you, the editor may be, more than, uh, be much more real than it is funny. And that could either be because you work for someone like the boss I just described, or maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've taken advantage of your position of leadership that way to put that burden on other people. Either way, today's message is for you. Um, so we'll start out with reading the passage. Let me start. As I said, Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters do the same thing, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is, there is no partiality with him. So how does this passage fit into what we've been studying in Ephesians for uh, for the last six weeks, we've been focusing on how we respond as Christians in light of what, what Christ has done for us. In the last two weeks, uh, the messages have focused on household codes, which include the relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children's. Yeah, parents and children. And today's passage is an extension of the household codes um, and helps us to understand the difference between slavery in Jesus' time and our modern idea of slavery. Um, the relationship between bond servants and masters and the extension of the husband and wife and parent and child relationships of the household. Um, so in, the, in ancient times, if you were a bond servant, you worked for a, in a house, uh, you reported to a master. Um, and in the same way that the wife and the children were subject to the master, so too as a bond servant, you were service to the master. So if you were a master of a household, you had your wife, you had your family, and then you had the people that worked for you. And they all had the same rights, which is to say none. Um, as the master of the house, you had the right to, you know, over death, over over your wife, over your children, and also over your servants. So 
this is an extension. What, what, what the passage is telling us here is this is an extension of the household codes, right? We start, as I said, with the, with the wife and the husband, and then the parents and the children, and now this is one concentric circle out. Um, and the word that, that, that uh, we use here for bondservant is doulos. Um, and the definition of that word is a person who is legally owned by someone and whose entire livelihood and purpose was determined by their master. The next step, the, the word for, for master is kurios, and that was defined, or is defined as a person who has general authority over others, slaves or subjects, often as an owner as well as an authority figure. So it's important to understand bond servants in the context of the, of the time in which Jesus was writing. In the ancient world, it's estimated that about 30% of all people were, were bond servants, and they did all sorts of jobs. Some of them were teachers, they were stable hands, they were cooks, they were maids. Um, and even as we read in the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph was an overseer of a vast empire and holdings. Um, so this is actually, you know, it's very common and, and the roles that people could, could hold were varied. Um, and one, of, and there's important to actually identify some differentiators between our modern understanding of slavery and slavery in, in Jesus's time. Um, so these are the two main differences about uh, slavery in the old time, uh, in the ancient world, and uh, modern day slavery. One, it wasn't about race. Um, so while there, while a master might have had servants that were of a different race, it wasn't as a you know judgment on a particular race as being less than another. It just happened to be that as a result of war or debt or a or, you know a, a poor family could sell one of their family members into. Um, into slavery or into bond servitude, or even if they were just, a, if there was a newborn baby and maybe it was a girl and not a, not a boy, they would actually maybe just abandon the child and that would be picked up by slave traders. Uh, Tim spoke about that last week in, in terms of the, the parents and children. So bond servitude was not about slavery. Uh, it was not about race, sorry, it was not about race. And it was not primarily about human trafficking or illegal activities. Um, that's not to say that this couldn't exist, that uh, maybe slaves were treated very, very poorly, but that wasn't the main purpose of this relationship. It was really just to say within a household, you had people that needed to do the work. Um, and those were normally um, people that were purchased. Um, and, you know, as I said, that could, that could come from war. For example, as the Roman empire grew and they subjugated more nations to themselves, there was a number of people that were left, you know, um, fathers were killed, for example, um, their wives and children were left um, destitute and they were sold into slavery and they actually worked for for a Roman master. So this was quite common at the time. Um, and it's also different in that, you know, for example, if, if someone was a slave, they could actually have slaves themselves, depending on their role and which household they were in. They weren't necessarily treated poorly and they weren't necessarily completely destitute. They could actually have slaves themselves. Um, the other thing about sla um, bond service in, in, in the ancient world was that most people were able to redeem themselves to freedom by the age of 30, right? So this is something that they did for a period of time to repay debt or, you know, as an act of service. But um, at some point, they often were able to buy their freedom. They did earn a wage and they were able to save that money up and, and buy their freedom or redeem themselves. So before we continue on, I just want to make one thing clear and we'll actually... Uh, Go through a couple of passages that support this. Um, whatever the relationship of, of uh, in the ancient world of, of masters to bond, uh, to bond servants, one thing that's actually very helpful for us to remember and understand is actually that as as believers, as Christians, 
we are ultimately all bond servants to Christ, right? So it doesn't matter whether you are master of, of people in this world or whether you are, you know, acting as a bond servant. Ultimately, um, the masters we serve on earth um, are not the real masters we serve. We are actually, uh, as Christians, we are bond servants of Christ. And there are two passages I just want to go through that that highlight this. So the first one is Galatians three twenty eight, which says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek; there is neither slave nor free; there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Um, and the second patches, passage is First Corinthians seven verses twenty one to twenty three. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called is the Lord as a he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So think about this just as a reminder. No matter how climb, how high we climb up the corporate ladder and the number of people who report to us, we will always report to a higher authority. Are you the CEO? You still answer to the board of directors. If you make it to the board of directors, congratulations, you still answer to the industry's regulators and so on and so forth. But no matter how high you come on the human uh, human scale, you are still gonna be uh, answering to our, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, um, so in this context of how yeah, sorry. So in this context, you know, we would just be we need to be humble about our position in, um, uh, and and how we how we view others, our our peers and and um, colleagues and friends and enemies. I mean, they are all actually yes, we may be be above them in some levels, but actually, at the highest level, we are still all um, under the authority of Christ. So in the context of how bond service worked in the ancient world. How is Paul asking bond services to ask, act in this passage? Um, there are two ways, actually. First, how we interact with our masters, and second, um, what we do for them. So let's look at the first. Paul is calling bond servants to be obedient to their masters as a sign of obedience to God, whether their masters are Christian or not. Um, in this, Paul is reiterating that as Christians, we are to love our neighbors and our enemies. And whether bond servants in Paul's time or we in this current day and age, like our masters or not, we are called to treat them with the same respect as we treat our Father in heaven. And this echoes Jesus' teaching on loving your enemies from the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 5, 43 to 48, we read, Jesus is speaking, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the standard is set very high because as Christians, we are not only called to be obedient, but also to deliver whatever outcomes or work at a, at a heavenly, to a heavenly standard. Paul doesn't want us to use the excuse, well, good enough for government work. Um, we are to work and deliver the, like the output will be handed over to God for review and sign off. So that's a very high standard. We're not, uh, you know, we don't have the luxury of just saying, ah, I'll phone it in. I'll, I'll do some, some rubbish work. That's not actually, frankly, it's not an act of worship to God. If we actually, in everything we do, are, are, are worshiping our Father in heaven, 
then the work that we should do should reflect that. We should do it to the best of our ability. And that's actually what he's calling, what Paul is calling bond servants here to as well. Right? We, whether we like our masters or not, the work is, is meant to be well done or done well. And that is because people will see what you deliver, what you, what you put out and what, um, you know, the work of your hands. And, you know, the one thing too is in a, in a situation in the ancient world where often there was, um, there were slaves or bond servants and in the Christian church, they were at the same level. There was no, you know, the masters were not supposed to be treated. So if someone from a household was a master and a different person from a slave went to the same church, Oftentimes there was cases that are documented where the slaves had a higher role in that church than the masters did. And this was actually, you know, if, if um, just to put that in perspective, very disruptive for that time, you know, that, uh, that a slave could have a higher station in the church than, um, than the master. That maybe wasn't an issue in the church because if people truly believed the message and the gospel, that was very clear to them that that was okay. But it was disruptive from a political sense. And, and so there was lots of, you know, so the rebellion that the Christian or that the early believers were already undertaking just by the way that these relationships worked was enough of a rebellion that, um, you know, it wasn't necessary to treat your, you know, to rebel against your, your masters, but it was more actually just as active rebellion to live in the faithful way that, um, that the church has, you know, all one under Christ. So, um, and just, to, just to give it a personal example, um, my very first job, I was actually working in a hotel, um, and my job was to clean hotel rooms. And uh, a lot of you are not going to want to hear this, but there's, there's cleaning a hotel room and then there's what looks like cleaning a hotel room. And that's things like only polishing the visible spits of chrome so that, uh, people, you know, the, the sides of people don't see, you don't bother to wash. Um, it's maybe cleaning the toilet seat, but not the bowl underneath. Um, you know, uh, if there was two beds and, uh, and someone left, if you thought one of the beds wasn't slept in, you could actually get away with not changing the sheets on the second bed. All, all of these things made that made the work faster. Um, but you know, when I was just becoming a believer at that time, so I've been maybe a believer for a year. And this was one of those things like, oh, I could do it faster and get home earlier, or I could do it the right way. Um, and that's a challenge, right? We always face these challenges of, do we do what, do we work to God's standard or do we work to what we can get away with? Um, and so for, for bond servants at the time, this was also a question, like, could, did they do the bare minimum to get by? Um, and it's an interesting thing. Like we could, we could say, for example, with the household codes, um, Ostensibly, husbands love their wives and they would actually do good things for them. Also for their children, we, let's, we would assume that they actually treated their children well. But on the flip side, you know, if you're cooking for someone or you're repairing their, their tools or implements or their household or just the bits of the house, right? Did you do that in a way that actually reflected active service of God or out of bitterness and anger, would you actually do it in a way that was a little bit shoddy, maybe not so good? So again, Paul is calling bond servants in this context to actually do good, do well, fix things, um, you know, do good work and do it not because you're serving an earthly master who you may or may not like, but because you're serving God. So we are called to serve God obediently in everything we do, and we are committed to doing it at a very high standard, not with the tricks we can get away with. And we are to work in a way that whether earthly masters are Christians or not. 
And because God's standard is very high, the secondary outcome of all of this is that even if our faith doesn't impress our earthly masters, actually the output that we do just as an act of worship to God will. Um, so, so this is the standard, but for most of most if not all of us, that's where the reality of God's higher standard conflicts with how we actually interact with others and deliver for them in our world. So as I said before, it's easy to love our family and friends and people we like, and hopefully our spouses and, spouses and children fit into this category. So on the flip side, um, did masters persecute their bond servants in Jesus' time? Does your boss persecute you today? Yeah, the answer to both of those questions is obviously yes. Um, but Jesus and Paul are both calling us to ignore the slight and instead respond to masters and bosses in the same way as we respond to Jesus and uh, God our Father. So this is hard. Raise your hands if you struggle with this. Okay, now don't be shy because I know you're all at home this morning with family and you're watching this on Facebook. And chances are pretty good that the people that you're sitting around actually have probably already heard you complain about your boss. So let's put your hands up again. If you struggle with this, raise your hands. Um, just so you know, we're, we're, we're honest with ourselves about our situation. Um, and I'm gonna, you know, I will speak to my own situation. Um, a lot of you know that Vicky and I moved from Singapore in November of 2019. Um, and I've shared before um, about my situation in the last six months I worked in Singapore, but, but to make a long story short, um, Shortly before I stopped working in Singapore, I began reporting to someone that I personally never would have taken a job with. Had I actually the job op offering um, job been open under her, I, I would not have actually taken that job. Um, but unfortunately, my my mentor and boss re um, retired, and so this this woman stepped in. And you know, for the last six months, she was there. She micromanaged me, publicly humiliated me. Um, tried to sow self-doubt me, talk negatively about me behind my back with my colleagues. Um, and in short, she made me hate going to work every day. Um, and I was miserable. And from the world's perspective, I could have justified doing the same to her, right? You know, it's very easy. I could have actually spoken with the colleagues that I had worked with for a very long time and said nasty things about her. Um, and initially I did a little bit. I complained um, and basically talked about that she wasn't a good boss and that I didn't enjoy working with her. Um, but as I became more miserable and conversely more reliant upon God and prayer, um, and and just so just as a filler, um, at the beginning of 2019, I had I had prayed to God and actually said, God, help me to trust you more. Um, and this led to a number of uh, some pretty substantial upheaval, which included us moving from Singapore to Sydney. Um, but as I was praying that God would help me to trust him more, and you know, again, this, this continued throughout early 2019, um, it was very evident to me that during my prayer times, God made it very clear that, to, that you know, while I could probably justify from a worldly standard that it was okay to complain about my boss, he wasn't having it. It wasn't okay by his standards. That isn't actually what this, what this passage is calling us to. It's not basically saying, well, they're mean, you can actually say mean things as well. That's not it. Um, God actually, again, holds us to a much higher standard. Um, and, you know, so I worked with, with this lady for three months, I then re resigned, but I, I still had three more three more months I had to work for her um, because I didn't get gardening leave. So I'd like to tell you that my situation 
got better, but actually it got worse, right? It was more difficult. And now that I wasn't actually going to report to her longer term, like some of these, these, these negative behaviors got much worse. Um, and so every single day, I think I was tested to basically, you know, by God. And I had to pray every morning, like, God, help me just to be a faithful employee. Help me to be someone that, you know, is slow to anger. Help me be someone that, that witnesses your love for people and actually your patience and your compassion and your empathy. Um, and, and the amazing thing is, like, those prayers don't go unanswered. Um, you know, as, as these things happen and it got more and more difficult... Um, my colleagues that were of various different beliefs in, in Singapore um, began telling me how it was obvious to them that I wasn't taking the bait. And they, they just didn't understand what it was that made me, you know, not lash out anymore and, and not, um, not respond in the way that they would have expected or that I had, I had done earlier on. Um, and, and this is the amazing thing, right? In responding and being faithful to to God's word and the, and the call that we have through the, through the gospels. I was able to provide an opportunity to witness to my non-believing friends about, you know, what it was in my life that, um, that made me react this way or would not react. And what it was, you know, the, the truths and beliefs that I held on to that actually made it possible to love her despite not being treated particularly well. So God honors obedience and uses it to provide us opportunities to witness about him in the gospel. Um, that's the opportunity I was provided, and it's the same opportunity he provided bond servants of the ancient world and all of us today. So our witness of faithful hard work um, in service of our master in heaven impacts the world around us. Um, and, you know, we, um, this, you know, saying it is one thing, but I, I think the other thing too is that, you know, thankfully in the Bible, we always have a witness, and that witness is, is Jesus himself. And, um, Jesus never asked us to do anything that he or didn't ask his disciples or his belief or his followers to do things that he himself wouldn't do. Um, so if we're struggling with submitting to the will of our masters, we can actually look at, at to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark 14, verses 35 to 36, we read, And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Jesus too visibly struggles with his master's will. Uh, we can take comfort in the fact that just because our spirit has asked us to do something, it isn't always easy. Um, Jesus knew that, uh, you know, the path that was taking, that he was being taken on was to his death. Uh, that death on the cross is actually what sets us free. Um, and the work and, you know, but it doesn't mean that it was an easy thing to do. Thankfully, the, the, the work that Jesus did on the cross for us, uh, means that probably the the work that we have to struggle with in our daily experiences, mine included, is not as is not as extreme as having to go to death on a cross. Um, and just um, just to close this off, uh, just reading further in Philippians two verses five to eight, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form <clears throat> by by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we're very thankful that, uh, you know, Jesus died for us and that as a, as a witness, we can basically see how we are to act. act. Um, and, 
you know, if Jesus is, is willing to go to the cross for us, we can at least uh, try and, uh, and work with our, our colleagues and, um, and peers. So, so what about masters? Um, so we've talked about what the responsibility of bond servants, but what about masters? What does this passage say about that? Um, and it's interesting if I, the company I work for describes leadership as both a privilege and a responsibility. And this is important because getting to be the boss isn't a ride or just something that should eventually happen if you stick around long enough, right? Leading people is again an act of worship and as believers, our example on how to do this is, is Jesus. Um, but before we get into this, let's focus on the different commonly used descriptions of masters in our, in our world, bosses and leaders. Um, I point this out because as Christians, our mindset needs to be right if we're going to humbly lead people as we are called to do through this passage. So what is the difference between a boss and a leader? Um, and now these aren't always full, but the definitions that, I, that are most comfortable and are, that are useful are, for me, are measure, a boss measures success by a title or rank in the hierarchy, whereas leaders measure success by passion and impact of the people they influence. Now, realistically, no matter how well you lead, your staff will probably refer to you as my boss, uh, my, refer to you as their boss or their manager. Um, I catch myself doing this as well. And, and to be honest, it's, it's a little bit strange to say, oh, my leader, my leader suggested I do this. My leader asked me to do this. It sounds like you're escorting, um, you know, aliens to meet the president or that you're part of a cult, right? So I get it, right? People may not be called leaders, um, but really you know when we think about our responsibility to lead a group of people um are we are we going to be more the boss which are focused who's focused on themselves ourselves or we are going to be the, the leader that is focused on actually you know the people we're leading and and their growth and what's happening to them um now one other thing i just want to point out is that oftentimes people call themselves managers actually my title is executive manager so i'm a manager as well and and management is actually necessary to get things done. It's probably more um, is, is a set of techniques that get things done that are helpful for planning, organizing, coordinating, directing and controlling. Right. So and following of rules. So people managing things is fine. But but when we actually focus on, you know, what our job is as leaders, leadership is about people. Uh, managing is how we get that done. Right? So let's not confuse management of tasks with leading of people. So really, the, yeah, so the question is always in, in our role as in a leadership position, are we focusing on what's good for us or are we focusing on what's good for the people we're leading? So at this point, let's return to the passage and see what, um, what the passage says about masters. So going back to Ephesians 6, uh, 5 to 9 um, and starting in the second half, masters do the same to them. And that's about not focusing on eye service or being people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So again, Jesus is saying, look, well on, on earth, you may be bond servants and masters. I don't see a difference, right? Both of you are bond servants to Christ, and um, you know I'm not going to... You're not getting favoritism just because you happen to be in control or in a, in a higher position at the moment. So then what is our example in the Bible of what, what, uh, what a faithful master is? 
And here again, much like the, the example that Jesus is as how we're to act as bondservants, here also we can see how Jesus acts as a master. Um, so reading in John 13, verses 2 to 8. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Here we see Jesus was willing to lower himself to wash the filth of the feet, the filth off the feet of his disciples. As we know, um, in the ancient world, obviously there wasn't sewage or there wasn't sewers, so oftentimes all sorts of disgusting things were just dumped out into the street, and oftentimes that was that was um, obviously on people's feet. They wore sandals, and all of that stuff stuck. Right, so one of the lowliest tasks in a, in, a, in a household was actually the person responsible for watching, washing that grime off the feet of their guests. And so here at supper, just before his death, where Jesus is going to go to die on a cross, he actually washes the feet of, of, his, um, of his disciples. And this is now a, a wonderful example of just wh whether you're called master or not, you know, the way that uh, true leadership works is actually that you serve those that, uh, that you're the master of. Um, so, and there's other examples of this throughout the Bible. Um, you know, Jesus is regularly cleaning up for and caring for the disciples, the people that he is meant to be leading. Um, you know, he, uh, in, he, he's sleeping in a, in a boat and the disciples are out in the, in the, Sea of Galilee, and there's a huge storm, and he wakes up to calm the raging storm. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus cleans up the mess created by one of the disciples after cutting off the ear of a soldier, and Jesus reattaches the ear. So what does this teach us about how we are to lead? Um, instead of just telling the disciples what to do, Jesus takes the mess they have created and helps them out. For better or for worse, he allows the disciples to learn by doing and often failing. And he picks them up, and he has compassion on them, and he trusts them to try again. And he gives them this chance to demonstrate they can do do better. So there's a wonderful picture of who Jesus is. And, you know, when we think about it in our own situation, does this sound like someone we would want to work for? For me, absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think we also learn that maybe sometimes we aren't ready to lead. Um, I share an example in my own life. When I was, um, when I had just finished business school, I had a job in Germany with Dresdner Bank, and I was part of a team and, you know, I thought, well, I've been to business school, I should be leading and I should, you know, there was an opportunity to take over leadership of a small team. And I thought that that position could, should come to me. Um, and I, you know, for me, the, the decision about whether I should do it came down to, well, I'll get a better title. I'll get paid more. You know, I could get even with this one colleague that's been annoying me a little bit. And like, if that person had to report to me, then haha, what a great, what a great thing for me. Um, and I also thought it would lead to faster promotions, but I wasn't ready to, to lead. Uh, my motivation to be the boss was because I had been unfaithful with money. 
And I thought, well, if I make some more money, then I'll be able to close off these debts, right? So out of my own sin, I actually thought the best solution was for me to lead other people. And thankfully, I didn't get promoted. Thankfully, they they passed that, gave that role to a, another person. And, um, you know, I, I really think in, in retrospect, yeah, it was difficult at the time to not get that position. But also, I think what I've been able to lead that team the way I would hope that, you know, uh, that's been demonstrated to me on how to be a, a master and, and, and me being a, a bond servant, uh, you know, and, and I think the answer is no. So sometimes it's, it's actually good. What we don't get what we want is just sometimes God saying, actually, you're not ready for this. Um, so and so to this, like, when are we ready to lead and, and what are the things to think about? If you uh, <clears throat> if you if you think you're ready, uh, ready to take on a leadership role, I ask you to think about this uh, a question first coined by the rap group Naughty by Nature in the early 1990s, which is, <clears throat> you down with OPP? Now, OPP loosely translates to other people's <coughs> properties or problems. And more, if I put that in a proper English se sentence, you would say, are you ready for the responsibility of addressing other people's problems? Um, if you are a fan of early 90s rap music, you know the response to this question is, yeah, you know me. Um, which again translated would be, yes, I'm willing to take on the responsibility of leadership. <clears throat> and this sums up what our response should be if we are in a position of leadership. Because leadership is rarely about accolades and praise on a day-to-day -day basis. It's usually about trusting your team to take on tasks they may not be prepared for um, or have demonstrated the aptitude for. It's addressing the mistakes they inevitably are going to make because they are human um, and we're sinful and prone to making errors. Um, and when you and then when you take responsibility for their mistakes, <clears throat> you have to explain to senior management when they question you why it's, things aren't done. So that's the reality of probably what leadership is in most cases. It's actually taking on <clears throat> burdens and challenges raised created by other other people in your team and taking responsibility for them and just getting them addressed. So you're probably thinking, well, that, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, Greg. That's why would why, why is that considered a privilege? Why is leadership considered a privilege? Well, there's a couple of things. You tend to get paid a little bit more money. Uh, you often get promoted a little bit faster. <coughs> but honestly, the reason for being in leadership is never about those things. Um, the real privilege is, is mentoring people. In the same way Jesus mentors the disciples. We, we look back at the examples of throughout the, throughout the Gospels. You see how Jesus leads the disciples. He asks them to do things, which they do really poorly. <clears throat> and then he has to bail them out. But yet in all of this, he's teaching them. He's teaching them about who he is, about who the Father is. He's teaching them about forgiveness. He's teaching them about responsibility. He's teaching about faithfulness. Um, and all of these things, like our opportunity as leaders in, in the world today is actually that opportunity to share, you know, to teach people how to lead, how to, you know, mentoring them so they can grow and take on new responsibilities, <clears throat> witnessing them become leaders of other people themselves and seeing them share these things with their teams. And in all of these, right, if we if we think about our jobs today in the workplace, we have this amazing opportunity to share the gospel, not by speaking op just openly about Christ all the time, but just by demonstrating care and love for people, <coughs> giving them the opportunity to learn from us, um, giving them the opportunity to fail, giving them the opportunity when they fail to basically say, what did we learn from this and how can we move forward? So and isn't that what the Holy Christ and the Holy Spirit do within us? Right? Aren't these the things we get excited about when we watch our children develop and grow? <clears throat> yeah, we, we all see that our children make mistakes. We make mistakes. But 
how, how amazing is it when someone comes alongside us, partners with us, and helps us to do better? Teaches us, says, this is what you did wrong. Let's see how to, let's, let's try and do this a little bit different. Spend time with us and commit to us. <clears throat> so as Christians, we have the opportunity to impart what God teaches us into all of our activities associated with mentoring people, and, and therefore our jobs become active work, worships to God while we leave. Um, when the focus of our jobs becomes the growth and care for other people as an act of worship to God, <clears throat> we avoid becoming the masters the passage is admonishing us against. Um, so in all of these things, right, as we sum up this passage in this way, we are all bond servants of Christ and called to respond to our masters as if we were working for Christ himself. And sometimes that's as people that are following, and sometimes that's as people as leading. But as we always remember that we are always followers of Christ, you know, the humbleness of our, our position and our situation really, one, makes us dependent on Christ, but also gives us the compassion and empathy to, to, to allow other people to fail while they're working for us <clears throat> and to actually have the amazing opportunity to witness Christ to them in the midst of those situations. Um, I just want to close by praying, <clears throat> praying that the prayer that I actually, every morning before I go to work, I actually say to myself, or that, that I pray to God, just to prepare me for the day. Um, and so if we can all bow our heads together, I will pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, or I thank you for the opportunity to, to work and to, to worship you through the act of my service. Heavenly Father, just help me to be humble in my service. Help me to listen well, to follow well, to actually focus on how I can serve, not, uh, not only telling people what I think they should be doing. Help me to listen, um, help me to support, help me to speak when I need to speak, but also to keep my mouth closed because I'm focusing on me and not you. Lord, just send your Holy Spirit to be with me and uh, yeah, be with me as I, as, I, as, I, as I have the opportunity to worship you through service today. Pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a great Sunday.